Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Today's guest is Amir Carlisle, co-founder of The Players Company. Amir and co-founder Sheldon Day played together in college as teammates at the University of Notre Dame. Now they've teamed up to build The Players Company DAO to mobilize the athletic community behind financial literacy and education while also addressing the racial wealth gap. Amir talks about his playing career and the influence it had on creating The Players Company. We talk about its structure, the mission, and the proof of learning concept they will implement to help communities build generational wealth. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Amir. So we're very honored today to have Amir Carlisle. He's the co-founder of The Players Company, kind of a a startup at the moment, but an exciting one. And uh, we wanted to get Amir on. Amir, welcome on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we were really intrigued about The Players Company. You're a co-founder along with uh, your former teammate. You guys played college ball at Notre Dame. Uh, Sheldon Day. And uh, I just kind of want to let you talk about it. What is the player's company, right? And kind of how are you guys building it up and what are you hoping it to become? Yeah, on a high level, you know, our goal, you know, from from our background, um, coming from, you know, Sheldon's from the Far East Side, you know, I was born in Chicago, moved, you know, moved out to, to South Jersey. And, you know, really one of the one of the things that brought us together was just the fact that, you know, wealth was something that was not a reality in our families. Um, you know, you hear this term generational wealth thrown around all the time. And it was just something that we didn't see. You know, my family, nobody has ever passed away and, and been able to pass down any type of asset. The only thing people were able to pass down in my family was debt. And, and it was a similar situation for Sheldon's family. And so, you know, we really came together, um, you know, united under that that same passion of really helping, you know, our families build wealth and helping ourselves build wealth and really changing that trajectory. And so really, essentially, you know, we came together, united under this this common passion. And what we saw was kind of this this trickle down effect. You know, we most of us are coming from low income environments. You know, we escalate, you know, as athletes to the college ranks, then to professionals. Um, But across, you know, during this journey, we never were taught about money. We were never educated or guided on actually how to build wealth. And you see the same problems that we've seen in our community in the professional sports where, you know, guys mismanage finances, they don't have, you know, a proper support system around them. And ultimately, you know, after retirement, they fall on tough financial times. And so from our standpoint, we said, look, you know, we got to provide a better system. The system really essentially sets an athlete up to fail, sets, you know, a kid in an urban environment up to fail. Um, And so really, how could you build a system that is, you know, more representative of the people and really this inclusive financial system where we can actually begin to create opportunities. So essentially what the players company is, it's a community of people. It's both athletes, it's businessmen, it's, you know, businesswomen, it's community leaders um, that have really come together to create, you know, a better banking system, really with the mission of creating a more inclusive system that's really built on diversity, that's built on inclusion, that's really built on empowerment. So essentially what we're trying to build out, it's really the foundation that is a community, but it's how do you build a, a better banking system um, that is really there to pour back value into the consumer, into the community rather than just taking everything. So that's what it is. You know, we we're launching about was shooting about a month and a half, two months, but we'll roll out this digital banking product and we'll kind of dive into the details of, of how it actually operates. But it's a community based platform that's really focused on this two way street of value. That's fascinating, man. And, and, uh, Something really cool to hear. I know that a lot of times when you talk about where, where you come from a you know a background where maybe you know you're not wealthy, right, or you, a background where you're struggling. At some point, you say enough is enough. I want to change this, you know, and I and I want to make it better for you know the kids following in my footsteps. So just kind of a big picture, right, with the with the players company, you're creating it and you want to create it as a, as a DAO. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. And so you know, with, with that being said, you know, you have this governance structure. I know you guys are going to release an NFT uh, in a couple of weeks, I believe. I don't know if it's scheduled for the February 28th. How are you looking to have that governance, right? Are you looking to have just complete input from whoever's a member of your DAO? Whoever holds that NFT will then have the, the power to kind of vote on different measures, participate in, in different programs. What do you have in the works? 
Yeah. So how things are going to be structured. Um, so you'll have the actual DAO entity. There's three kind of sub entities underneath the DAO um, in regards to a token selling company, development, trust fund, et cetera. Then you have the actual C-Corp. And so the C-Corp itself is going to house all of the regulated business. Currently right now, it'll be digital banking, eventually broker dealer, anything regulated, anything around investments, et cetera. And then underneath the DAO, there's a 501c3 nonprofit. And so right now there are two members on the board of the C-Corp digital banking, um, the digital banking entity. The DAO itself will have one board seat. Um, and so initially the goal is like, you got to lay the path before it's kind of just a, you know, a free for all, everybody voting. The goal is, you know, for us to really lay that path of what it looks like. And so with every decision that we make, how it works, kind of everything's built around what we call this learn to earn protocol or our proof of learn protocol. And so basically, you know, individuals earn tokens for participating in any type of value within the community. And so value, really think of it as for now educational workshops, webinars. So for attending these workshops, webinars, et cetera, they earn tokens. As they earn tokens, they then hit these various thresholds. At these thresholds, they then earn NFT badges. Um, and so these badges then unlock varying levels of access on the platform. There's also monetary upgrades to these badges, higher interest rates, discounts on, you know, interest rates on loans, eventually, et cetera. And so as you kind of escalate up the ranks, you obviously get a larger voice. Um, and so right now, kind of there's there will be seven work streams underneath the DAO um, that have various utility, event planning, education, charitable initiatives, et cetera. So there will be kind of these various seven work streams. And so how it will work is, you know, basically revenue generated from banking. So right now, think card swipes, right now on debit cards, but eventually credit cards, and eventually we'll get into, you know, lending products that money will be contributed to this community treasury. And so right now, as we begin, it's going to start at about 15% of revenue is contributed to that treasury. And then as we then push towards what we will call true decentralization, we get to a point where 100% of all revenue generated from banking is then contributed to this treasury, of which the people then dictate fully at this point um, of how it's allocated. Are we allocating it to event planning? Are we allocating it to new educational initiatives? Are we allocating it to charitable initiatives? Are we allocating to product development, et cetera? So basically you create, again, this two-way street of value where the value that we're extracting from you in terms of revenue generated from card swipes, net interest margin, et cetera, is then contributed to a treasury and then it flows right back to the community. And so you create this business where one, it's always representative of the people because once we kind of reach that point of true decentralization, the people then dictate how the, the capital is allocated at 100%. And then really you create this these two entities that as we generate more revenue, we equally generate more impact. And so that's really the goal. It's like, how do you create kind of this virtuous cycle of value where value created is value returned? And then we're gonna get there. The goal is we're not gonna just get there to true decentralization from day one, you know, that line between core team and community, the goal is it begins to blend over time. And as it begins to blend, basically we begin to hand over all power to the community, but it really comes down to, we have to lay that path. We have to lay the path to wealth and how we're building this system first. And then from there, the people take over. Yeah. That's an amazing, you know, trajectory you guys are talking about, you know, and in listening to, I, I can kind of envision it. I see, kind of we're going to have like this financial product, right? That's going to be kind of the kind of leading the way in terms of generating revenue. And then you're looking to have that. And, and I think you referenced that before to like a digital banking product. And then off of that, then you'll be able to kind of fund these other initiatives that you guys are are, are hoping to do to kind of educate people or to, to donate money to 51C3s. Am, am I getting that kind of kind of right? Like, because it seems to me like the crux of it is, is that digital banking that you're talking about, that that's really going to spearhead um, the company in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that's the business behind everything. If we're thinking of it kind of, it's this almost economy, think of it more so as like an economy here. And with that economy, you know, you obviously have to have kind of your primary revenue generator. And so banking is that how we generate revenue. And from there, traditionally kind of in, you know, say, you know, a web two world, where you have Bank of America, Bank of America, you know, generated $30 billion of net income. And so, well, where does that go? Where does that $30 billion go? 
we don't really know. You know, traditionally how banking works is very this one this one way street of value, where it's them basically extracting value from us, and there's very little value actually poured back to the actual consumer. What we're trying to build is say Bank of America, but now that thirty billion dollars that of net income then is dictated how it is allocated by the people. And so you'll have an internal accounting team that says, okay, this is what we have to, you know, we have to account for this year from expenses, taxes, et cetera. So it'll be run like a company, but you have these different working guilds where you have two representatives from each working guild. And these working guilds are working collaboratively for this common purpose of how do we really optimize for value for the consumer rather than how do we optimize for value for or optimize for profit for this business. And so kind of those working guilds underneath the bank, think of that as kind of the structure where people are actually dictating how that $30 billion is actually allocated for our best interests rather than the bank's best interests. That's awesome, man. And I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of diving deeper into that. I kind of want to take a step back. I think you've done a, a phenomenal job of introducing the players company and, and kind of your vision for it. And you referenced this before, growing up, you know, and having like this idea of generational wealth in it. Not really, you, you're not seeing that, you're not experiencing that. What was your journey as, as, a, as an athlete, say, like in high school where you grew up and then being a part of a, a giant football program and, you know, kind of growing up in that, you know, having formative years as an 18, 19, 20 year old guy, what did you see around you? And, and looking back on it, what are some things that you're trying to like do better or correct? Yeah, my journey through life has been able to see my parents go from we had nothing when I was younger to seeing them, you know, accomplish things and achieve their goals and really provide, you know, a better future for myself and my brothers and really seeing, you know, my dad, you know, leading that way and leading that push and really setting that example for me. And so I was able to, you know, get a, a great view into kind of what it takes to to be you know, a high level athlete. My dad was had the the luxury of being able to train professional athletes when I was a kid. And so for me, you know, I always just sat there and watched like, you know, seeing some of the guys that you see on Sundays work out and seeing the dedication that they, you know, really have to the game for their personal growth and really that commitment that they made to themselves to be great. And really for me, it was eye opening because um, you saw kind of a behind the scenes of, you know, what it actually takes to achieve those goals, what it takes to become a division one football player or to play in the NFL or become a star player. Um, you know, we don't get to see kind of that behind the scenes of what it actually goes into the, the, the hours of blood, sweat and tears and discomfort and fighting through injuries and, you know, everything. And so it was cool to really be able to see that, you know, as a kid. And so, you know, I love the game. You know, I actually, I got into the game at a young age, but I also love the grind. You know, that was something that I learned to love early where, you know, it's great. It's so fun. Like you, you, everything that you put into, you know, the game, you know, manifests itself on game day. Um, and that's where everything that you work for obviously comes to fruition, but it's the the hours in the summer when you're running, you know, liners and you're, you're lifting weights that, you know, you don't see. And so I learned to love that process. And so as a kid, like, you know, so I came up, I was always really one of the top kids playing, ended up going to high school. It was funny. I went to this a big football school coming out of high school. And um, that was the first freshman to play varsity in school history, got brought up in the playoffs. And then my mom was like, hey, you know, I can't. You know, school was like 55 minutes from the house. She's like, I'm not going to drive you there anymore. And uh, so then I had to transfer to this really little school, about 500 kids called King's Academy. And, uh, you know, basically, I think King's Academy had put out one Division One player in school history. Like the year before I got there, the league that we played in, we, we played against California School of the Deaf. And so we were pretty bad. Like it wasn't good football. It wasn't known for putting anybody out. And I remember the athletic director for the school that I was at. Um, as a freshman said, you know, if you transfer, you're going to commit athletic suicide. And so for me, you know, always was somebody that always really operated and still to this day, you know, operated with a chip on my shoulder and always wanted, you know, like, you know I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to use any type of negativity, you know, as fuel to the fire. And so from there, you know, I just worked hard, worked, had the opportunity to really work with my dad and he trained me. And, you know, I made that commitment to my, the same commitment that I saw the guys made to themselves when I was a kid. I made that commitment to myself. I said, I want to be something. I want to play Division One football. And so from there, you know, I got my first offer at Stanford. My sophomore year of high school ended up 
at the time I had, you know, set the record for most rushing yards in county history. Went to USC. From there, it was again, you start from zero again. It's like, man, you know, you build yourself up, you become, you know, a top recruit All American. Now you're back to, you know, ground zero. Um, and then from there, you know, again, it was always kind of this up and down adversity. And that's something that, you know, I think is, you know, without even diving too deep into it, but it's really adversity is what makes people successful. It's learning how to deal with adversity um, and how to respond to it. And so got to USC, you know, I was one of the first freshmen going into week one to start as a running back, got hurt two days before the game, came back, played my true freshman year. Next year, I was going to be like the quote unquote guy and be the starter. Then my family moved. I transferred to Notre Dame. You know, I was feeling great. I was like on my high horse. You know, I was coming off. I was about to be the star running back at USC. And I was like, I'm about to be the star running back at Notre Dame. Came in, broke my ankle the first two weeks of winter workouts. Another, you know, another piece of adversity, another obstacle that I had to overcome. And to make it matters even worse, you know, I had got permanent nerve damage. And so I wasn't able to feel from my knee down through my toes at all. And like, even to this day, like I can't feel the bottom of my foot. And so again, I was out a year and a half, came back. I wasn't the same. I ended up playing that, that second year, started the first three games, did really well, fumbled. Another obstacle that I had to overcome. After I fumbled, I got benched for that year and it was rough, like ups and downs. I, I lost all confidence. I was dropping passes. I really felt like I, I just had lost all confidence and kind of that sense of self, of uh, that sense of self-belief. From there, they moved me to wide receiver the next year. You know, another obstacle. I had dropped like five out of the eight targets I had that year um, just due to a loss of confidence. And, um, you know, from there, it was like, okay, like, how do I respond again? Um, they moved me to receiver. Really, the goal was really, okay, he dropped five out of eight passes. We'll move him to receiver. He'll continue to drop passes and we won't have to play him anymore. From there, I was like, okay, how do you respond? Chip on your shoulder. How do you prove him wrong? Ended up starting my last two years, you know, signed an NFL contract as undrafted free agent with the Cardinals. You know, it really experienced my dream of putting an NFL jersey on. But from there, it was like, now, okay, now I finished, well, shoot, I stopped playing in 2019 and it was back down to the bottom of the totem pole again. And so now it's about, you know, that same chip on the shoulder, trying to prove people wrong. Now in this sense, it's about how do I bring kind of all of that experience of really dealing with adversity as an athlete to, you know, this next business venture um, and really fueling the passion of really helping people and providing, you know, this better system to impact and build wealth. And then also really just, you know, carrying over how to deal with problems. Cause that's something that as an athlete, you know, we discount, but it's a lot of ups and downs. There's so many different ups and downs that you have to deal with that translate directly to what you have to deal with in real life. And so for me, it was about understanding how to now, you know, really channel what I learned throughout my entire journey to now pour that into this next venture and pour that into, you know, becoming a businessman, you know, creating an identity outside of the sport. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in talking to you, I know that from the outside looking in a lot of people, not that it's not, a, you know, it's impressive. You went at two of the biggest college football programs in the country, right? You played for USC, you played for Notre Dame. And a lot of people would say, you know, it's a privilege to do that. But then uh, you, you, you mentioned when you're in the grind of it, when you are putting in the hours, people don't really understand how, how much of, of a toll it takes on your body, you know, how, how much time it takes up and the sacrifices that you make. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That I, I say that's a hundred percent true. <laughs> and you know, because because we're we're talking about the players' company, and you're definitely athlete centric here. And so people might be looking like, you know, why do athletes need help with managing their money, or or, or with with trying to you know launch businesses? You know, don't they have enough money, or don't they have, you know, all these built-in privileges that they've had since they were playing for these programs? And that's not the case. A lot of times, you guys are actually at a disadvantage because you dedicate so much of your time to a sport. And you don't get that opportunity to sometimes explore other venues that can help you grow professionally. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something I think now uh, I'm hoping for at least, you know, with the new NIL laws that it'll give, you know, these college kids these days the opportunity to really begin to explore life outside of the sport. But when, you know, we were playing, um, it really wasn't the case. Um, we were able to do a little bit. You know, I got a kind of this little two week internship type program where I was able to, it was more so like something to just put on your resume versus actually getting any real world experience. But 
when it came down to, you know, trying to even get a job, I remember I applied to Buffalo Wild Wings just to try to get some real world work experience. And uh, the football department said I couldn't, you know, work the job. And so, yeah, you put everything into, you know, being the best that you can be at this sport. Literally, like, you know, balancing school, balancing, you know, basically it's a, a full time job. We have to be in the building a certain amount of hours. But beyond that, it's, you know, the body maintenance, it's, you know, the film work, it's, you know, the preparation, it's the extra physical work of making sure that you're in tip top shape and catching more passes and running more routes and, and just making sure you're you're prepared. And then kind of, you know, thinking of it from a more zoomed out lens, you know, we commit ourselves to the game at that high level for, you know, since we're 10, 11, 12 years old. And so shoot, like, you know, I played from age 10 to age 26. And I was 16 years of my life where, you know, my one focus was how could I be the best football player I can be? And even, and, and like, again, kind of taking it back to the system, the system around me really didn't even allow me to, you know, look outside of that focus and really begin to even diversify my, my interests. And so only thing you're focused on is, is football, football, football. And so, you know, as you escalate the ranks, one of the things that, you know, we're not taught in our educational system is money. You know, we're not taught, you know, at a young age, we're not taught in high school, college. And so really you kind of, you leave these individuals who many of which are coming from low income environments to really fend for themselves. You got to figure out, you know, you got a lot of money now, but you got to figure out what to do with it. And it's foreign. It's like, you know, I don't know what a W-2, a W-9, I don't really even know what a stock or a bond or anything is. And so now, you know, you really leave the athlete extremely vulnerable to the people around them. And so, you know, sometimes an athlete gets a great team around them and that team is really there to develop and they do what's in the best interest of that athlete. And, you know, they're able to learn along the way and they're able to translate their dollars into wealth. Other times you have people who are taken advantage of and ultimately fall on hard times. And then you have a lot of people that are in the middle that just get very mediocre advice and guidance. And really, again, they're just, you know, the, the advisor has the incentive and not to their own fault. You know, advisors have families to feed. And so at the end of the day, you know, when it comes down to it, they need to make their 1% fee. And so, you know, you might have an advisor that doesn't want to tell a player, hey, you're spending too much money right now because, you know, typical athletes sometimes, you know, they're like, well, don't tell me what to do with my money and fire you. And so now it's like, okay, you know, the athlete's got to figure it out. And it's really a lot, a lot of times by trial and error. And again, you know, the NFL does stand for not for long. And you don't know that last down that you play. When I played my last down, I had no clue. And so now, shoot, your career ends and you don't figure it out yet. Income shuts off. You have no passive income. You have more debt. You really don't own anything. And it's like, well, dang, it's too little too late now. And so that's what really happens, you know, on a, on its simplest level. Um, it comes down to the, the team, you know, around the actual athlete. And, and again, it comes down to the system, the structure around how do we actually help an athlete you know, establish a criteria on how to find a good advisor or how to, you know, invest or, you know, how to, you know, do these good financial practices. But beyond that, you know, it's really about actually, you know, how then do you educate um, and guide and support? Um, because what, you know, was traditionally happening was bad spending habits in their career, income shuts off, extreme drawdown on savings, and now you have a tough time figuring out what to do next. And that's a piece that I think isn't talked about enough, but I'm glad, you know, athletes are starting to have that conversation around mental health. But, you know, that identity issue is huge. I mean, you got to think about like even just like the the adrenaline rush you get from going out in a stadium and 85,000 people are screaming for you. And these people who want to shake your hand and get autographs and then your career is over. One day randomly might be an injury. One it might be someone didn't want to pick you up. And now the same people that were shaking your hand and screaming for you don't answer your call. And it's like, dang, well, you know, I'm I don't feel important anymore. And so like that identity mental health aspect is so crucial to that transition as well. And I think it takes it back to how can we, you know, provide a better system to help an athlete even just figure out what they're interested in outside of the sport and not have these blinders on and, and destigmatize that. For you to be a good player, all you have to do is just focus, focus, focus entirely on the sport. Like you do have to focus on the sport, but it's okay to, you know, learn about 
stocks. It's okay to learn about crypto. It's okay to diversify your interests. But I think now kind of the trend is, you know, guys are starting to step outside the game a little bit more and, and learn. But yeah, that's kind of from our research and friends and, you know, what we've seen, definitely the, the system, how it works now sets, you know, a young 21, 22 year old person up for <laughs> at a disadvantage. I mean, shoot, if you give anybody that much money at that young of age, you know, I don't care if they're an athlete, where they're from, it's hard. And, you know, just tell them to fend for themselves, how it kind of currently works is, you know, you understand why, you know, a majority of guys do end up in a, in a tough financial predicament post-career. What you just outlined there, right, is like an all too common story. A lot of times, you know, young guys come upon money and it can work out a bunch of different ways, but you're basically one injury, one major injury away from losing it all. Right. And, uh, you know, now, and then you mentioned also the NIL. So you got even younger guys, you got 18, 19 year old guys now that are out in the open, legitimately making, uh, you know, more than a million dollars from these deals. And it's like, how do you handle that? Right. How are you able to keep that money, make sure you don't lose it? Cause I know me as an 18 year old kid with a million dollars, I mean, <laughs> the world is, is limitless, yeah. right? They're, the possibilities are, are endless. So you really have to be careful with it because your athletic career, which is how you're making your money, can disappear with, you know, from, from one day to the next. Yeah. You have a bunch of, um, you know, former uh, athletes as investors. You have, uh, you know, Richard Sherman. I know uh, you also have Will Fuller and uh, Zach Miller, a bunch of different athletes. So my question with the, with the players company, are you, are you guys looking to make it, you know, sort of like this DAO? to help younger athletes and to help athletes manage their money and, and educate themselves and, and, and create these networks? Or is it open to anybody? Who can really participate and who, who would benefit the most from it? Yeah, so great question. And so what we're actively working to do is now, so we're, we're actually about to um, do a partnership with this other group of individuals, um, this other DAO. Um, and what that partnership is going to do is we're actually going to create the actual infrastructure, this digital bank, the the proof of learn protocol. Um, and so it's going to be a collaborative effort. And so in terms of the actual system, this community-based financial system that we're looking to build, that will be open for everybody. And so really the goal there is like, you know, really we operate off of the quote, to whom much is given, much is required. We as professional athletes, I don't care if we play one year, if you're like someone who like Sherm was, you know, a 10 plus year vet, we've escalated past where most thought we could. And we've achieved a level of wealth that many people in our families have never seen. And so from our standpoint of what we've talked about is as this group of athletes that we've turned the dollars that we've earned into wealth and assets, how can we further that vision, further that mission of creating a more equitable world? And how can we really blaze this path to wealth for the broader community, especially understanding the plight of those where we come from and really kind of just without diving too deep into it, really, you know, looking at the racial wealth gap, you know, there's an underlying opportunity gap. And so really how can we leverage, you know, our likeness, our social capital to give access to people that traditionally don't have access. And so that's kind of what we're working through from a, from a just straight infrastructural system standpoint, we're going to, the, the, the group we're partnering with can't, get too deep into it now, but it's a group of bankers, community leaders, and developers. And so we're, we're coming together. Now, from a strictly players company standpoint, what we're doing, um, there will be a, a sub-community within the broader financial system where it's there's think of it more as a support group for athletes of where you can actually go and ask these questions of, you know, how do I hire a financial advisor? What type of criteria should I be looking for? So it's more think of it as a, a structured, curated community where you might have a guy like Zach Miller, who Zach understands, you know, from both sides of the seat. Now he's a certified financial planner who has athlete clients and he was a former Pro Bowl, Super Bowl champion. And so he is going to provide more genuine advice to a young athlete than a financial advisor who might just be in it for the money. And so it's really about from from a player's company standpoint, it's creating this forum where we can begin to impart the knowledge, information and experience from the last generation of athletes, the vets, the guys who have been there to the next generation who are trying to figure it out, who are trying to learn how to invest 
And so really the, the ethos of, of, of the players company from a community standpoint is mentorship, um, both informal and formal. Um, but it's about how can we really begin to educate from this community centric standpoint and how can we really begin to educate from experience? Um, but from an overarching system of what we're actually building out in the actual app and who can actually engage with the app, et cetera, that'll be open to everybody. That's about how can we build wealth together and how can we do it in a more inclusive and empowering way. Yeah. And forgive me, yeah, and I should note that you guys are still incredibly early in the project, right? I mean, I know you guys have been working on it, you know, behind the scenes, but you guys just launched uh, or made it public within the last couple of months. Is that correct? So we launched the name, kind of like the mission of what we were trying to do last summer. And we've been kind of head down um, behind the scenes working again. I, I love the whole DAO space because it's so collaborative. It's so community based. And so we've been working with a couple different DAOs um, on actually building out the product. And so we'll probably be um, we'll have kind of the, the initial beta live probably around, I'd say, April, mid-April um, that will be live. But um, yeah, definitely super early in this. Um, what we've done previously is, you know, did some things just on a more informal basis, but when we actually launched this system that we talk about, this community-based financial system to help, you know, really empower, you know, disadvantaged communities to build wealth and really kind of this, this community forum built on mentorship and experience and information and knowledge, that'll be in about April 4th. So we're still pre-launch, but yeah, definitely putting one foot in front of the other to, to, to get to that point. Yeah, and I kind of see it coming together. I mean, potentially, and maybe it's me just having this very tunnel vision, but I could see somebody, you know, who's a fan of, you know, some of these players, maybe a Richard Sherman fan or you know, a big, a Will Fuller fan, and they become involved with the Dow, you know, take part in it. And you're opening up all these other things for them, you know, whatever it is, maybe, you know, you incentivize virtual greet and meets, you virtual, you know, you, you incentivize maybe memorabilia. I have no idea, but there's so as athletes, you, like you mentioned before, you have that social capital that you are always able to tap into, right? That fandom, those emotions that sports have to kind of get a broader community involved in the project that you guys are working on. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, that's to the point of like, how can we leverage the social capital of professional athletes for access to the broader community? And that's what it's really about, you know, as guys like Will and Sherman, you know, having conversations with Will and talking about, you know, the reality of kids in Philadelphia. It, it, it's a sad reality where, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, kids in a classroom and it's 40 kids in a classroom with 20 textbooks. And so it's like, how can, you know, you know, having these conversations behind the scenes of as an athlete beyond, you know, giving capital, but how can we capitalize people that need it within these communities? Um, and so, yeah, most definitely in terms of doing Q&As, because a lot of these, that's, you know, another part of this is like, how do you humanize athletes? Like, you know, everybody just sees, you know, us with, with a helmet on and a jersey on, and you almost kind of forget now, you know, especially now with sports betting and, and how popular fantasy sports are, you almost forget that, you know, these are real humans at the end of the day with families and passions. And, you know, it's really about humanizing athletes. It's like, you know, Sherman's an, an awesome real estate investor who has a ton of experience that he can pass down to not just the next generation of athletes, but to anybody on how to invest in real estate. Or you got guys like Kelvin Beecham, who literally is probably one of the best venture capital investors I've ever seen and, you know, how to evaluate companies and how to build teams and how to build companies. You know, he's got, you know, an amazing um, knowledge base on that. And so really, again, it's about, you know, leveraging that social capital. And it's also you know, about humanizing athletes and leveraging their knowledge to educate the broader community. But again, it's really about us as a community of athletes really blazing this path to wealth for, you know, people that traditionally haven't had that opportunity. Absolutely. And you're, you're looking to do it through that Dow model, um, which you talked about. I noticed on social media that you guys are still on track to drop an NFT on February 28th. Is that a hard date, February 28th? Can you talk a little bit more about that drop? Yeah. So, you know, I would never like to lock myself in. It's a soft date. However, things are moving forward towards that date. Um, artwork, everything is is coming together. How important is that NFT drop going to be for for the players' company moving forward? Yeah, so that NFT drop is huge for us. Um, one, it allows us to align with our community, socially and economically, from a community standpoint and from a governance standpoint, um, in addition to actually really broadening, not broadening, but solidifying our messaging to the public. Um, and so really what the NFT, how, how it's going to operate, um, there's three membership tiers. Um, you have Doe, Bread, and Green. 
And what we've done, you know, in honor of Black History Month, we uh, partnered with three Black artists. um, And each of these artists, basically, what we said to them is like, here kind of is the mission. This is what we're doing. But make a piece of art that signifies to you or symbolizes a journey to wealth. And so it's really cool because the artists have very different styles. One's a 3D artist. The message behind his art is Afro-liberism. One is more kind of a 2D cartoonist, think more of your traditional NFT. And the third girl does kind of this uh, multimedia hybrid where it's you know digital and a, a real life picture. And so it's, it's really cool because each of them will come up with a very different image of what wealth means to them. And so really kind of that it embodies our overarching message that, you know, wealth no longer has a stereotypical image. It doesn't have to be, you know, a man sitting there in a suit. It could be a kid from an urban community in a hoodie. It could be, you know, a girl from the suburbs. Um, but really, you know, embodying that wealth looks like us. You know, and we all have the opportunity because really seeing, you know, representation is huge. You know, one of the reasons, you know, shoot, Sheldon talked about it in his article, uh, but, you know, you come from these impoverished environments and you really see rapping or playing sports as really the only means to make it out. And if you don't make it out, you turn to the street. And it's sad that these are the only options that it's like, dang, you got to be in the top 0.5 percent in order to make it out. Because it's super hard to, to make it as a professional athlete or a, a, an artist or you turn into the street. And it's like we've got to, you know, we got to show representation, you know, greater representation at the top where, you know, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you look like, but we can all achieve wealth. And so that's really the the, the overarching message of it. It's like, you know, this is not a black versus white thing. This is. A us thing. This is a black and white and Hispanic and whatever race inserted into it. It's about we can do better together. And really, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And how can we create a, a better economy as we strengthen where we're weak at? And right now, it's that's in our the black and brown communities. Um, and then from a more utility standpoint, the actual NFT lays again, it, it lays the foundation of governance for us. Um, and so the, 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 obviously, the as the NFTs escalate in kind of the different ranks, um, they come with associated governing powers. And those governing powers obviously give you a vote within the community. And so loosely, you know, basically this gives you your voice. And like I said earlier, this is, you know, we're building a financial system that is truly representative of the people. And from our standpoint, who better dictate what's in the best interest of the people than the people themselves? And so really the NFT not only symbolizes this inclusive message of wealth, but it symbolizes our application of this inclusive message of wealth saying, we're actually doing it. You actually have a voice. This is your voice within this new financial system that is going to be representative of you. And so that's kind of, you know, the the, the messaging behind the actual NFT. It's interesting, you know, you get a lot of, you know, kind of you get pushed back, you know, another celebrity athlete, you know, NFT, but, you know, this NFT is, is, is tied to a real product that generates real revenue. And at the end of the day, our goal is to provide real value. So that's really, you know, kind of the, the, the messaging kind of what we're, what we're thinking around the NFT. That's great. And, and you did provide some information on the NFTs, you know, the artists and kind of what they represent. Do you have any details on like how many NFTs there will be and where, how, and where it'll be available, how much it'll cost to mint anything like that? Yeah. So, um, TBD on on actual pricing. However, um, there will be 3,000 um, 3, of the actual NFTs. Uh, it'll be 2,000 of kind of the lowest tier, 750 of the mid tier, and then 250 of the top tier. And so the top tier will actually give access to a product that will be rolling out in the fall. And so that product will be centered around basically alternative investing. So think of it as kind of this community-based investment product where you're able to invest alongside of your favorite professional athletes. And so again, you know, from a, a, a deal flow access standpoint, what we're doing is, you know, just leveraging this community for access to better opportunities. And so you get, you know, this pipeline of great deal flow, et cetera, and you have the opportunity, kind of the social capital piece to say you're investing alongside some guys and girls that you, you know, see playing in your favorite sports leagues. The second tier um, gives access to, um, obviously there's an associated amount of governance rights. You have a higher interest rate on that second tier. And then you also get access to this, um, our in-person tour. Um, this, this it's, think of it kind of like a coffee side, fireside chat where we're doing them in, in LA, um, but we're bringing it basically, you know, top tier, A-list CEOs, 
business leaders, community leaders to come in in a very intimate setting, sit down and teach um, and give people the opportunity to actually learn and ask questions where it's not, you know, conference style. It's like 15, 20, 30 people. And we're sitting there in a room with, you know, the CEO of X company. And we're talking about how to build business, how to build wealth and really providing kind of this form where we could begin to build. And then the, the third tier gets access, basically first access to the platform, the educational suite, et cetera, and obviously associated governance rights. And so that'll be how, how those, those tiers work um, on a high level. And then as the product build out begins to really, you know, as we begin to progress down there, those NFT holders will have pretty significant monetary incentives attached to those various tiers um, that people who earn their way into the community won't initially have. Let's get into the digital banking product that you talked about earlier, you referenced earlier, and the financial incentives. What I'm mostly intrigued about and kind of to connect things together from what we talked about earlier was, was that digital banking kind of product. What exactly is that? And can you give more details about, about it? Yeah. So this is going to be in partnership with, uh, we're building this in partnership with another DAO. Um, and so how it's going to work is basically everything centers around what we call this proof of learn protocol. Proof of learn basically is a playoff of proof of work, proof of stake, which basically states, you know, um, you know, Proof of work is the heart of the blockchain, but we're saying that proof of learn education is the heart of building wealth. And so how that actually operates is there's two sides to this marketplace. And so kind of taking it back to something I said earlier, you have this racial wealth gap. You know, we see, we hear about it all the time, but underneath this racial wealth gap is an opportunity gap. And so our goal is first to close the opportunity gap to then close the racial wealth gap. And so basically how we're doing that around this proof of learn protocol, there's two sides to this marketplace. You have members and you have seeders. Members are anybody who creates an account on this digital banking platform. And so as you create an account, you go through traditional KYC, put your name in, yada, yada, you get a debit card and tr traditional kind of neo banking sense. Where we differentiate again is around this, this, this protocol we're building out. And so you have members and then seeders. Seeders are anybody that seed the ecosystem with any type of value. Right now, it's going to be predominantly exclusively around education. So think of people, you know, hey, I want to educate on budgeting. Hey, I want to educate on real estate. Hey, I want to educate on stocks, bonds, et cetera. But eventually, as kind of this economy builds out, this marketplace, think that seeders could be anybody who's providing any type of value to members. That could be Somebody who's trying to offer an internship, somebody who's trying to offer a job, somebody who needs, you know, some, you know, offering an opportunity to be, you know, an actor on set, whatever it may be, any type of value that can be added to members. Think of that as this, this marketplace where we can connect members to Cedars. Cedars both create an account. There's kind of this two-sided dashboard where both are able to create an account. Members earn TPC tokens for good usage of the platform that's creating your account that's connecting a MetaMask wallet, that's setting up direct deposit. Cedars earn TPC token approved opportunities. So a Cedar then posts an opportunity to the platform. We have a middleman, it's called a guild called the Vetters. The Vetters vet through the opportunity. The opportunity gets the approval. From there, members can opt into that opportunity. So say it's a budgeting class. Say you posted a budgeting class, I could go on my app. I see the budgeting class that you posted. I click RSVP, I join, I go. I earn TPC tokens for attending. You then earn TPC tokens for the opportunity that you posted. And then there'll be an, an extra incentive for how your opportunity performs. So say you have 50,000 people that end up you know, attending your webinar or whatever it may be, you can earn a bonus on top of that based on the engagement with the opportunity you posted. And so basically we're aligned here where we're both earning the token that is the foundation of this economy. That token is then backed by all banking activity. And so as we're engaging with the community and adding value by swiping our card or setting up direct deposit, that value then flows back into a treasury and the treasury is going to now increase or accrue value to that token. And so as we're learning together, as we're building together, as we're, you know, educating, we're building wealth together just by learning and engaging with the community. And so that's how it's going to, how, how to operate on a high level. And you have, you know, 
basically these two sides and we're basically, you know, how, how can we connect you to opportunity? And so again, our goal, how do we close the, the, the wealth gap? But we first got to start with closing the opportunity gap. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guess I have a, a more question, right? With that, that, that debit card that you mentioned, because that's how some of the profits are going to come off of that debit card, correct? What is that linked to? Is that linked to a traditional bank or is that going to be linked to a digital wallet? Yeah. So the debit card, so think of it traditional neo-banking where we have a partner bank behind the scenes. On a front-end standpoint, the user is interfacing with us. From an account standpoint, that account is being created at a partner bank. Um, But every time the debit card is swiped, uh, we generate interchange on those debit card swipes. Um, And then we also have different accounts we're able to generate net interest margin on. Um, and then eventually we'll get to lending products, credit card products where, um, you know, for lending, we'll be able to generate net interest margin. So we make money in very traditional banking sense. Just the only difference here is that, you know, in traditional banking sense is, you know, the bank extracts value and shoot, we never really see that value. You know, we get paid 0.01% interest and, you know, there's very little value that is actually returned back to us. Think now that that banking, all of the the revenue generated from traditional banking senses, debit cards, credit cards, lending, that then flows back into the community from, you know, it goes into the treasury, then flows back into the community from this kind of democratic, these democratic votes. So yeah, everything, how we make money, it's tied directly to traditional banking, how you, how Bank of America makes money, how, you know, Chime makes money. That's how we'll make money. And then you mentioned that you had the the seeders and the members. Now, if you're a member and you're using that those debit cards, right? Because I imagine there's got to be an incentive to use that debit card. You are earning tokens. If you're using that debit card, are you also not just are you, you know, creating revenue for the players company, but then are you also able to kind of earn some of that social token? Yeah. So disclaimer kind of star here. We're working through that now with our legal team because there are some complexities. Obviously banking is, you know, a, a regulated industry and kind of tying the token into it. So Yes, that is definitely the thought. People, How people earn tokens are uh, participation. That's participating in an opportunity, performance. Um, so people can opt into different financial challenges, budgeting, saving, et cetera. Performance also ties into usage. Um, and so that's kind of your setting up your direct deposit, connecting your wallet, um, you know, creating your account. And then what we're working through from a, from a performance usage standpoint now is can we tie actual card usage to token rewards. Um, and then the third way uh, individuals are able, or members are able to earn tokens is by goal setting. Um, so if you set you know, a savings goal or a budgeting goal and you achieve your goal, you then earn tokens. And so those are kind of the three, you, know, you have your participation, performance, um, and your personal goals that you can earn tokens for. That's awesome, man. It really is. You guys are building it and you've thought it through, right? Um, you want to make social change, but like you said, you have this you have an enterprise at the, at the front end of it, and but you want to have you want to reward people for doing that. And then you want to not just reward them, you know, in a way that you know you get this back or whatever, but rewarding them and the community at the same time. Exactly. Is there, you know, I, I, I want to respect your time. Is there anything else that you know you want to add, or is there anything else, um, you know, as you're building out the the platform that you're looking to to um, maybe get some help from or looking to get some reaching out. I mean, I know you said that you're behind the scenes. You got a a bunch of different people creating partnerships that you're creating partnerships with. What's your next step? Yeah. So for us, just kind of just staying on top of what we're doing. um, Just if anybody's interested in kind of any updates to discord channel, I'm always in there to, to ask questions. Um, But yeah, you know, really our, our whole mantra has been partner to progress here. Um, And it's really about been doing this as, as, you know, as collaboratively as we possibly can. Um, So yeah, if there's anybody out there that, you know, has a skill set that you want to contribute, if you go into the Discord channel, there's a a link that says get involved. And there's a a tab of ways that you can get involved. And, you know, where we talk to everybody who fills out that intake form, Um, if there's, you know, any type of value that you can add, you know, we always have that conversation. Um, And what's next for us on the horizon, obviously, one, it's building out the community. Um, You know, we really want to put our ear down to, to, to the to the ground to really understand what the community's needs are and how can we be really provide an experience that we provide value where, you know, if you have questions about how to build wealth, we're there as a resource to answer these questions. 
in addition, also, as you know, we're actively working through this this product build out, and you know, during this product build out, it's really been about you know leaning on the community and and getting their feedback on every step of the way, um, and it'll continue to be about that. You know, even after launch, this is you know obviously building out a a neo banking product, any type of fintech type product. Um, you know, you have to iterate and, and we're going to iterate with the community in mind and make sure that we're building, you know, what's in the best interest of our constituents. And, you know, beyond that, you know, it's, it's really about for, for us, it's, you know, building the community in conjunction with that. It is fundraising too. For us, we're actually in the midst of fundraising. Um, and then from there, it's launching the product launching kind of your quote unquote minimal viable community um, and then building from there. It's listening to the community and building a system, a product, a community that really is there to you know, always maintain their interest. And the goal is ultimately it's really how can we how can we really build wealth together? So that's kind of the next I'd say the next three months on the horizon. And then from there, it's just let's see. Let's see what the, the, the feedback is. Let's iterate. Let's build um, and let's create together. That's great, man. And, and I really hope that there's there's listeners when we put out the podcast that want to reach out and help you out in any way that they can. Um, that would be awesome. You mentioned before Discord. Where should somebody or people that are interested in following the player's company, what should they do? How should they reach out to you via social media? You know, is there, What website should they go to and who should they be following? Yeah, so follow Sheldon. Uh, Sheldon on Twitter. You can follow myself. I'm SolarBot3. Um, the Discord link is in both of our bios. Um, it's also in the bio of our Instagram page, which is just the players company. And then in the discord channel, I'm SolarBot, And so yeah, just ping me, um, in the DM in the discord, that's where I'm most active every single day. I'm just trying to build that up. You can find us on either of those social channels. Um, but the discord link will be in our bio from there. Mamir is the co-founder, his co-founder, Sheldon Day, uh, who couldn't be with us today, but you guys are both the co-founders. It was a pleasure talking to you, Amir. Uh, really thanks for setting aside the time. And, you know, I really hope that as you guys progress, as you guys are building out your product, that we're able to talk some more in, you know, in, in a couple months and, and see where you guys are at. Thanks again for your time, man. And I really appreciate it. All good. And I really appreciate your time. This has been fun and look forward to catching up in, in a few months and seeing where we're at. Thanks for sharing all your, you know, your story, you know, a lot of your background and, and what you went through. And then now building up this new platform. Sounds really awesome. And, and I, I know you guys are going to do very well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care. This is an exciting time to be building in the crypto space and creating DAOs. Today I heard from Amir and his experiences that made him want to create a community built around building wealth and changing lives. He's in many ways an embodiment of a new player's movement to impact social change. I know Amir and Sheldon will be incredibly successful by taking the grind from the field to the business space. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until next episode, take care.